0: You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Enchantress Strategies got a powerful selection tool in Commune with Spirits. We take a look at six new brews in Modern and Pioneer. Then on a flashback, testing results with Spirit Sisters Call and Hinata Dong Crown. That's all coming up on this edition of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, coming to you from the Twin Cities, and I am joined by the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is the Lodestar. He's the reason for the season. He is Daniel Schriever. Dan, what's going on?
0: Hey, I'm doing great, David. Good to see you again.
1: Good to see you. No Mord, no Zach, no Damon. It's just us carrying the torch, carrying the fire.
0: (laughs) It's just us and our sketchpad of decks.
1: Yeah, so if anyone is interested, if they want to check out the Friday podcast, Mord and Dan and myself went deep on the effects of the new Luris ban. We also talked about (laughs) a card that I think we have fondness for, even though I I think we're starting to close the door on this card being playable, which is Isochron Scepter. Uh, In Modern, uh, you and Mord had some pretty hilarious screenshots of getting (laughs) rinsed while trying to play it. Uh, There were some highlights. Uh, We don't want to say it was all bad, but...
0: Yeah, I mean, we went five and four between us, which is amazing result. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) Um, Just a reminder, if you'd like to support us, the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Join at any level that is comfortable for you. Yeah, you get access to the Discord. Tons of great ideas. A bunch of hilarious screenshots of uh, (laughs) Ragavan taking (laughs) tans. Isochron Scepter and beating him over the head with it until he uh, concedes.
0: That's the real content. Let's be honest. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's what people are here for. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Faithless Brewing. That's the best way to support the show. If you've been following what's been happening with the end of SCG coverage, a lot of the stalwarts of the magic content community are trying to sort of figure out how everything's going to fit together. So you're seeing a lot of new Patreons, a lot of new pushes for Twitch subscriptions, that sort of thing. So this is just your friendly reminder to support content creators. The new model for content going forward, I mean, this is how a lot of us engage with magic these days. It's not so much playing, it's living in this world of thinking about cards, thinking about decks, and just being involved in the scene. And yeah, we need your support to make it happen, and we really appreciate you.
1: Absolutely. And speaking of thinking about cards, we have a very interesting card that we are going to talk about today commune with spirits dan this is the kind of card that you often highlight a card that is cheap a card that is efficient at what it does and a card that sort of uh, maintains consistency at doing a very specific thing
0: yes so it's a single green mana sorcery look at the top four cards of your library you may reveal an enchantment or land card from, from among them and put it into your hand put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order So we've seen a ton of cards like this. Slight variations. Basically, the things you're looking for is A, does it cost one mana? Yes, this one does. Does it put the cards that you don't choose onto the bottom or into your graveyard? Obviously graveyard is better, as we see on the the two-mana version of this effect, which is commune with the gods, but you know, that's probably too generous for, for one mana. So for one mana, you get the cards on the bottom. Second, how many cards deep does it look? This one looks four deep. We're used to seeing cards that look five deep for something like ancient stirrings or commune with dinosaurs, commune with nature. Does it grab lands or does it only grab a specific card type? If it grabs lands, it's much more likely, much more reliable much easier to build around. So that's why Adventurous Impulse is still playable even though it only looks three cards deep. Whereas a card like Commune with Nature, which is just single green, look at your top five, get a creature, um, it's just basically never worth it because, you know, the chance of missing and then the deck constraints.
1: And even a card like Commune with the Gods, yes, it looks like five instead of four, and yes, it puts them in the graveyard, which you highlighted, Dan, is often a big positive, but it only finds creatures or enchantments. It does not find lands or enchantments, so it's really hard to actually hit. You're really likely to miss, and it happened this happened to me a lot.
0: Yeah, so what is the number we're aiming for here? I mean, I guess if I'm gonna put commune with spirits into my deck, I want to have confidence that like at least 90-95% of the time is going to get me a card. Even just a land. And I, I think I didn't run the exact numbers, but I believe if you have something like 35 hits in your deck, you're 97% to connect with commune with spirits. Um, if you have like 30 hits in your deck, so a hit, a hit being lands or enchantments, you are, I want to say 90. Let me just run this again real quick. If you have 30 hits in your deck, you are 94% likely to find something off of Commune with Spirits. Does that sound right to you?
1: I have 94.8% if you have 30 hits. In my mind, I'm thinking 23 lands plus 8 enchantments is 31. That's the number I was kind of looking at as my minimum. Okay. So I was, I was trying to at least hit that.
0: Yeah, and I think the distribution between lands and enchantments is also important. Like, if I'm just casting Commune with Spirits and getting a land most of the time, it's really not worth it. So I need to have, you know, the exciting thing is when you cast this and find a really important enchantment. So is it enough to just have, like, four of a good enchantment and a bunch of lands? Or do you really need to have, like, two or three different enchantments you're looking for?
1: Yeah, to me, you know, we talk about the Rule of Eight a lot. Obviously, we're not necessarily going to recommend decks that have exactly eight of an effect, but I like the idea of having at least eight hits that have real significance, right? So maybe one is a key combo piece and another just a very powerful card that you don't mind having in a certain amount of times. I also think one of the exciting parts about this card is going to be when you keep a one-lander in this and you're a really powerful two or three-mana enchantment, right? And you're just hoping to hit a land. Then hitting a land is going to be really exciting. Because you're able to keep an otherwise unkeepable hand.
0: Right, yeah. I hope it should be a good consistency tool. Another thing that you could do with Commune with Spirits is put it into a deck that's like entirely lands and enchantments. Like an enchanter style deck. And there every time you cast this, you're you're getting actually selection. You'll you'll have maybe three or four hits to choose from every time you cast it. It's a real question of like whether that's actually worth a slot because Commune with Spirits does not share the card type with like an enchantment deck, but maybe just like for the selection effect, it's still worth it. And it's in green, so a green does not typically get that kind of selection.
1: Yeah, it functions like a super ponder or something. If you have whatever you're describing, fifty-two hits or something.
0: Yeah. So that's kind of what we're working with here. I mean, I think what's cool about it is that it invites us to think about what are some enchantments that we would like to find more often. You know, enchantments are often like unique build-arounds, and they struggle with that rule of eight problem. So you can dust off any old (laughs) random irresponsible engine enchantment. (laughs) There's a ton of enchantments that cost two and have really unique effects that possibly Camuma spirits could help you find. So I'll just get us started off, David. We'll start in Modern. A deck that interests me is a deck built around the card Heartless Summoning. Now, this is a card we've dedicated entire episodes to. Really unique effect. At least the first copy of Heartless Summoning can be very explosive, can allow you to cast a bunch of creatures at a huge mana reduction. One of the shells that we've toyed with in the past is Heartless Summoning paired with like the green lands package. So... Think of cards like Dryad of the Elysian Grove, Primeval Titan, even uh, Gitrog Monster. And then because you're trying to just make land drops, you're maybe going to win with Dryad plus Valakut. Or uh, in the case of Black-Green, because you have Black for Heartless Summing, you could even play Dread Presence, which is kind of like a Black Valakut. And then you have Urborg, Tomb of Yoggmoth to turn everything into a swamp.
1: And and the uh, Dryad does as well. Yes. Yeah, dread, dread, presence, dread Presence in these shells has been super impressive to me. So yeah, I, I'm in for that. That sounds awesome.
0: So among those cards, I've named Heartless Summoning and Dryad as enchantments that, in my experience, are better than everything else in the deck. Like the first copy of Heartless is very good, and Dryad is just tends to be the most important card. And this is also what I felt when I was testing those Temeshi decks last week, as I talked about... So if I've got 8 cards that are enchantments that are extremely good, and I want a bunch of lands, this seems like a, a natural fit for Commune with Spirits. So I've got a list here from Amane0201 that 5 0 on January 25th, I'm basically proposing to just pick the 4 worst cards here, you know, 2 creatures, 2 lands, and replace them with Commune with Spirits.
1: Yeah, I think you can even do some sharpening on that. Like, for instance, I think Dread Presence is way better when you're playing a card that is looking for an enchantment that turns everything into swamps. That's Dry of the Elysian Grove. And it's looking at... Also, you can find specific lands. So you can find Urborg a lot more often. Um, So I think I would for sure play the full boat of Dread Presences, let's say, and play zero Get Rog monster because the card is not even close to modern playable. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I like exactly what you're describing, Dan. Uh, maybe you'd keep one Get Rog Monster as a Summoner's Pack target. I, I mean, it feels like you'd have to be able to do better than that. Uh, the other question is um, because this deck is playing for emulative of Vigor, do you want to be playing um, the Saga, right? Th- that seems like a possibility as well.
0: Yeah, I think that Heartless Summoning makes Urza Saga like a little bit awkward. Mm. Just like having a Heartless down.
1: Yeah, but that that's right. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that.
0: Which might be a reason to not play Heartless Summoning, but we gotta try it. For for the sake of commute with spirits, I'm gonna try the Heartless build.
1: No, yeah, I think this is a great place to start. I actually think these shell is pretty good. I think it's gonna be a lot better actually now without Luristex around. That sort of ability to exhaust you of all your resources.
0: Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Alright, so before we leave Modern, I want to talk a little bit about whether Commune with Spirits would fit in the Modern Enchantress shell. And by that I mean kind of like the, the pre-built MH2 package of Sith's Harvest Hand, Sanctum Weaver, and Enchantress's Presence. And we can include Solitary Confinement, because that was also printed in, in MH2, and so was Sterling Grove, and this... Enchantress shell basically plays all those cards. That's like a locked twenty card package. In modern, you get to play Utopia Sprawl, extremely powerful enchantment, and you can get interaction on one mana enchantments like on Thin Ice. You can get Abundant Growth just for a little cantrip effect to keep the engine going once you have either Sithis or Enchantress's Presence down. And then you have to just eventually win with something. And as as I have said before, I dislike prisons. So like the the fact that Enchantress deck chooses to win with Blood Moon and Solitary Confinement is like a little bit disappointing to me. But yeah, like is there room for commune Spirits here? Is that a desirable effect for this style of deck?
1: Well, I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves when we say chooses to win. I think the only way it can win is being a lock deck. I don't think the raw power and just playing out, you know, whatever, <laughs> Destiny Spinner and Sanctum Weaver. I I don't think that's gonna get there. So I don't think they want to win with Solitary Confinement and Blood Moon, but, uh, you know, they want to win, and this is the mechanism to do so. Um, So, there's pluses and minuses, right? The, the hit quality is super high, but are there specific enchantments that are worth it? Because playing cards that don't trigger our enchantment uh, theme really punishes us. At the same time, it does seem like Solitary Confinement and Blood Moon are cards that when you want them, you really want them. And when you don't want them, you don't want them at all, right? Solitary Confinement isn't good until you're ready to set up the lock. Blood Moon is bad in a bunch of matchups. So maybe some number of them is worth playing. Uh, you highlighted here that they're playing for uh, Restoration of Iganjo. You know, that card is not very good. So that seems like a pretty easy cut. And you can even justify like turning some of those into Commune. And Commune will just find uh, Restoration when it's allegedly supposed to be good.
0: Yeah, what is Restoration of Igonjo? I didn't really think this would see any play at all, but I'm surprised to see it here as a four of.
1: Oh, I mean, I've got a bunch of different shells we could play it in Pioneer <laughs> if we ever want to. But so it's two and a white. The first thing it does is it finds a basic land and puts it into your hand. The second thing, uh, the second lore counter uh, allows you to discard a card. And then if you do, you may return a permanent of two mana or less into play. So the most basic thing you can do is discard the land that you fetched and put it back into play. So it's like a three-mana slow uh, rampant growth, if you want to think of it like that. They can only fetch basic planes. Um, But if you've cracked a fetch land, right, it turns that into a ramp spell. If they've killed a two-drop, I think, well, that's probably its primary focus here, right? As I play my Sith Harvest hand uh, out, you lightning bolted or or whatever, you know, Fatal Push it, etc., then I played Restoration of Igonjo, and in my main phase I get my um, Sithis back, so I just have another crack at, at getting at least to cast one spell with my um, Enchantress effect in play.
0: Hmm. I guess they can get back Sterling Grove if you this up. If you sacrifice Sterling Grove to find Restoration, then it gets it back.
1: Yeah. I I don't believe in this card. I think three mana is way too slow for this effect um but you know it'd be interesting i mean I've, I've obviously not played this shell specifically so uh maybe that they're adding it for a reason maybe that was the key card but i'm just not seeing enough value there's going to be a bunch of times where you all you're doing is ramping on the second turn the creature it makes on the back side is not that good so you know this is the kind of card you'd maybe expect to see some play in standard right it's functionally a two mm-hmm. for one it just takes forever to happen uh, but in uh, Pioneer, excuse me, in Modern, as we know, these two for ones can happen for very little mana very quickly. So, um, although this is a card that functionally gains you an extra card, I, I just think it's really going to be a struggle to convert that into an advantage when when it's happening on turn four.
0: So, going back to Commune with Spirits, I do think the cost of Commune with Spirits is a little overstated. Like, okay, so let's say you're trying to go off with Sithis. You'd. Cast an enchantment, draw a card. And instead of being an enchantment, just a commune with spirits. Like, you haven't really lost anything there. You just have to spend an extra green. You're a slightly less efficient, but you'll find the enchantments you want more frequently.
1: Yeah, and um, probably find lands when you want them earlier in the game. You know, you're only playing a 20-land deck, so this, you know, functions as, you know, land 21 and 22. Um... I would certainly be interested in trying like a couple here, right? You don't have to play the full boat. You can just use it as, as just like you say, a nice consistency tool. Uh, You know, sometimes it's Lance 21, 22. Sometimes it's solitary confinement, you know, four and five, right? That, that has value.
0: Okay. So something to check in on. I might try this over the week. Anything else in modern or should we shift our attention to pioneer?
1: I think we should shift our attention to Pioneer. The thing is that Modern already has really good one mana cantrips, so the attraction has to really specifically have some specific, you know, combo potential, like you've kind of outlined in, in two of the, in these two lists.
0: All right. So what do we find when we go to Pioneer?
1: Well, you highlighted you since we just talked about a um, Enchantress list. You had played a white green list. I think it was proposed by one of your friends that was kind of taking advantage of if you want to call it the engine. Of monastery mentor into conclave tribunal, uh, basically casting it for free, and it was using that to kind of tear through the deck because conclave tribunal was triggering both the monastery mentor again, as well as any Cetestan champions or eidolon of blossoms. Um, so you, I, as I recall, then you had a lot of screenshots where you're about to die, and you kind of had to like go for it, and you you know just generate enough power to be able to kill your opponent. You know when you were at three or four uh, with sort of lethal being threatened uh, towards you on the following turn.
0: Yeah, that's right. It was specifically the interaction of Conclave Tribunal and Monastery Mentor that allowed you to have all these free enchantments. You'd also have to have a card like Herald of the Pantheon in play. This allowed you to cast Mana Bloom as like a mana-neutral play. Mana Bloom is X in a green, comes into play with X counters, which you can convert into mana once per turn. And then when the Mana Bloom is out of counters, it goes back to your hand. So, having that with a cost reducer in play is actually an excellent way to trigger a Monastery Mentor every turn, or trigger an Eidolon of Blossoms every turn, or a Satessin Champion. The trouble was that, like, Satessin Champion has been a constant disappointment. The mana was terrible. I mean, this was even before Pathways were printed, so it's been a long time since we played this deck. You had to play a bunch of non enchantments just to make the deck work. You had to play. Like, six man elves, you had to play Herald of the Pantheon, which is not an enchantment. You had to play a bunch of Monastery Mentors. There was definitely a lot of room for improvement. But it was powerful when it started to get rolling, so I wonder if, like, we just take this shell and just start crossing off the bad cards and replacing them with cards that are, like, actually good and actually enchantments. What am I talking about? Well, instead of Herald of the Pantheon, how about we play Jukai Naturalist? from Neon Dynasty. This is a green and white enchantment creature with lifelink. It has that same text. It reduces the cost of your enchantments by one generic mana. But more importantly, it just is an enchantment. And that's like the key difference that makes it so much better than Herald of the Pantheon. Similarly, we can maybe think about replacing some of the mana elves or some of the monastery mentors or something like that with commune with spirits because really the engine is just a few cards the engine is your cost reducer your and your mana bloom and your island blossoms like once you have those going you're off to the races and you have like, you know wellflow havens conclave tribunals whatever else like as in a supporting role oath of nissa plays a similar supporting role but those are not the important cards you have like 12 important enchantments and the more often you find them and the sooner you find them the more explosive your deck will be so i do think this is like a strong candidate for being massively upgraded by commune spirits
1: yeah i i really like the look of the uh, shell that you propose i think you also highlighted that they printed the pathways the green white pathway the pathways in the absence of fetch lands are one of the more powerful land cycles they've ever printed in the history of magic. So it, the mana is much better in this deck. Um, the one card I wanted to highlight is Hallowed Haunting. I think that card should be replacing Monastery Mentor. Uh, it does a bunch of stuff. It is an enchantment, so it triggers our Eidolon, our Satessin Champion. Mm. With enough enchantments in play, it grants flying to all your creatures, so it functions as sort of your Griff's boon, right, to get your Satessin Champion to fly over. Um, it makes a bunch of tokens, and whether those are better than the Monastery Mentor tokens or not is an open question. Um, it's reduced by Jukai Naturalist, so it's not even necessarily. If you had two Naturalists, in play, it's actually cheaper than Champion. And most importantly, it can be found by Commune with Spirits. So now your Commune with Spirits it finds Mana, it finds your card advantage engine Idalana Blossoms, it finds your removal Conclave of Tribunal, it finds your uh, I don't know payoff for more enchantments, which is the Hallowed Haunting, um, and it finds your cost reducer in Jukai Naturalist. So to me, that makes it a little bit more attractive to to maybe make that the one of the payoffs. The double white is not trivial, I will say, but, um, you know, maybe the, with mana blooms filtering and stuff like that, it's, it's worth doing.
0: I'm going to read this card since I don't think we've ever talked about it before. It's two white, white enchantment from Crimson Vow. Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, create a white spirit cleric creature token with this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of spirits you control. So, they start off as 1 1s, but they kind of scale as you get more and more of them. And then it also says that as long as you control seven or more enchantments, your creatures get flying and vigilance. And that might happen in this deck.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's worth noting also that uh of Blossoms is a spirit. So, you get one extra spirit there uh, if it ends up mattering.
0: All right, okay. Yeah, that, that I think that's a nice upgrade that solves the Monastery Mentor problem because. You know, I, I really appreciated having a token generator to make Conclave Tribunal explosive, but I hated how it wasn't on an enchantment. Do you have any thoughts on some of these flex slots here? So cards that I think you could consider for a pioneer enchanter deck. Weaver of Harmony, Machiko's Reign of Truth, Skybless Samurai, Kami of Transience.
1: Yeah, so I don't like Kami of Transients without a way to put our uh, enchantments into your graveyard directly. Um, I don't love Weaver of Harmony at all. I, I don't think this card is very good. Uh, we aren't playing that many enchantment creatures. In fact, I think the creature that's ultimately going to kill them is going to be Cetestan Champion, given flying either through Griff's Boon or our Hell uh, Haunting most of the time. Um, it just dies to everything. And I don't know that this deck seems like it has a bunch of mana sinks, so I don't know that you'll ever have the chance to really, like, copy a trigger. That seems very fanciful. I like the idea, maybe, of the the uh, Machiko's Rain or Skybless Samurai. Those are more attractive to me. Uh, Machiko's Rain, obviously, can just be, you know, a one or two of that once you have creatures with flying, you can just kill your opponent out of nowhere. The other thing that's attractive there is when the third trigger happens, it actually exiles itself and comes back into play. Mm, so if you have nice. an idol on or um, Satesson Champion in play, it kind of restarts your your you know if you've spent all your kind of gas and your opponents whatever survived, now all of a sudden you get actually get another draw that turn or or draws possibly. The the cheap enchantment, you know, is is that what you want or is Held Haunting Satesson Champion functionally making that? while drawing cards and doing more, I, I don't know. You'd have to play around with it. You'd have to see how quickly you're playing, you know, this card for two or three mana.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. My thought process for Weaver of Harmony was that actually there's a lot of triggers in the deck already. There's Ilana Blossoms, Conclave Tribunal, Baffling End, Oath of Nyssa. I mean, that's already like 18 cards that I'm already playing that I could theoretically double with weaver of harmony now it does cost a green and you have to untap so it's not like something you can count on but as a greedy value play i mean imagine casting a conclave tribunal for free and then getting two permanents with it
1: yeah i guess to me the way that the games are playing out that you were showing i think the individual cards you don't want to be so clunky your Mm. your goal is to when you win you were doing like 10 things in that turn and spending a mana to do, like, one extra thing would not have been worth it. Whereas you're, what you're doing is, like, drawing a million cards and you almost couldn't even play all the cards in your hand. Um, right, right, Now the question is, do you want Weaver of Harmony to be, like, the bridge card that gets you there? Maybe that is worthwhile. Um, but it seems like your deck is already very susceptible to, like, cheap removal. Like, Eidolon of Blossoms dies to shock. This is another card that does. So does Jukai Naturalist. So it's the age-old question, like, do you want to try to overwhelm your opponent's removal, or do you want to try to, like, play other cards that aren't so weak to, you know, sweepers and things like that? That's where a card like Howard Haunting is a little more interesting to me, where it, like, you don't have to commit any creatures. You can just play Mana Bloom every turn, um, you know, trigger your Eidolon, get creatures, and then they have to kind of sweep, and you've only really committed, you know, just the Eidolon dies to that.
0: All right, so that's a puzzle to solve for Green, White, Enchantress, and Pioneer. What do we got next?
1: All right, so I have a Jund Karn turns list here. One of the things we're trying to do is with Fires of Invention in play, uh, Karn can fetch up Ugin's Nexus. It exiles itself as part of being destroyed. Um, I think I talked about this deck a year ago or something. And I was playing like 27 or 28 lands and a bunch of Arboreal Grazers to try to like turbocharge my way to um, the fires. The first thing that happened was in the middle of a bunch of our Sacrifice Shells we were playing a month or two ago. I really loved Treacherous Blessing when I was going to be playing Vraska. And this deck already wanted to play for Vraska because it needs to have all these ways to eat Ugin's Nexus. Uh, Plus it's playing two uh, Corvald, a so that Treacherous Blessing was already a card that was attractive to me replacing Tireless Tracker. It gives you way more cards, way more card velocity. Well, Treacherous Blessing happens to be an enchantment. So now we've got Treacherous Blessing as a card that helps us tear through our deck. Fires of Invention is the enchantment we're looking for when we're starting our combo turns. Commune with Spirits also lets us cut down on land so our deck is not so full of air. You know, what would happen sometimes is you keep a bunch of lands, Arboreal Graves or Fires, and like just hope you draw something that lets you use all that mana. <laughs> Well, what if you don't? <laughs> you know, then then you can't do anything. So, Commune Spirits lets us cut down to 25 lands, but we're still functionally playing 29, if you want to think of most Commune draws as lands. Uh, but it also, in the late game, lets us find Blessing if we're, you know, still a lot of cards, and it can find Fires if we're looking to, you know, play Fires on 4, you know, typically play Karn or Vraska right afterwards. Uh, those, are, those are the, the target plays.
0: Yeah, so structurally, this has a lot of similarities to the Heartless Summoning deck, where we're mostly going to hit lands, but there are eight cards that are enchantments that are very important to the strategy. And then between all that, between those eight cards and the 25 lands, that's like a nice, robust, commune with spirits package.
1: Yeah, and then I really want to highlight, because um, I I played a Grixis Fires list um, with Invoke, the whatever, the Black Invoke. And the new lands that they have printed are amazing with Fires of Invention. You know, getting to play Boseiju now is a huge upgrade for just any Fires of Invention deck. Getting to play the Black One to rebuy um Corvald or whatever is a huge upgrade. Uh and you'll probably get to play a um uh the Castle Lochthwain. So being able to find lands with Commune is is good. You know, you want to hit your land drops, but being able to play all these lands that function as spells means commune is really finding like a four mana instant uh raised dead or, uh, or uh, you know, a way to blow up a problematic enchantment or artifact. So it, it's it's weirdly better than you'd think. It's not just finding land drops.
0: Yeah, and no, I think that's hugely important. Similar to that Heartless deck as well. A lot of utility lands, a lot of specialty lands. So you're getting not just a replacement, but a little bit of selection and a little more power. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, so that is the Karn the Great Creator Ugin's Nexus turn strategy powered up by Fires of Invention and Treacherous Blessing. Next up, ah, I got a little bit of a reanimator callback here. So maybe this is a... I don't know if there's a good time to talk about this, but... (laughs) We did talk about Spirit Sister's Call two weeks ago. We were talking about the modern age and reanimation strategies... Let's follow up on that briefly. So you played a little bit of this, David. What, what did you learn?
1: Yeah, so, so I, I proposed a basic reanimator shell and had a lot of success with it. So I'd gone 4-1, just missed the 5-0. I didn't want to just play the reanimator list again. So I wanted to get into some shells that were playing Spirit Sisters Call. I was interested in this. Um, I ended up building two different lists. One is an Esper list that is playing um, a lot of card velocity, so it's playing like four Thirst for Meaning, um, a Celestis, the four Modern Age, four Omen of the Sea, a Search for Ascanta, uh, four Spirit Sisters Call, and then the top end is three Shark Typhoon, two Approach of the Second Sun, three Omniscience. The goal is you get Omniscience in play with your Spirit Sisters Call, and then you just tear through your deck, find Approach of the Second Sun, um, and then, you know, cast it twice. And so, you know, between Modern Age, Omen of the Sea, Thirst for Meaning... Cycling Shark Typhoon, maybe. The The hope was you'd kind of just do it all in a turn. Played this, uh 3 would lost to, uh, like, a blacklist, Timu's uh, Black Artifact list, lost to a mono-red um, list, and lost to a Scissors deck. The problem was that the Spirit Sisters' call was just a little too clunky, and the velocity through the deck... Mm you know like thirst for meaning is just not that great of a card right your opponent can especially these days can present a lot of power on turn three your play cannot be you know draw three discard omniscience pass back to you um <laughs> the one card that was very impressive was celestis though uh, as a ramp spell to get our sister, spirit sisters call earlier that was really big you know turn four spirit sisters calls is, is much more threatening um Also, Celestis was just, you know, a way to whenever we pass with mana up or we're like Cycling Shark Typhoon or something. But in general, the deck just felt clunky. So then I went to one of the lists I was proposing originally, which had a lot more interaction. So this is a four-color build. So it's replacing a lot of the deck velocity with more interaction. So four Binding of the Old Gods, four Sylvan Added, four Wolf Willow Haven, uh, four Modern Age. And then we're playing the full four Fatal Push, two Abrupt Decay, two Thought Seas, uh, Fort Spirit Sisters Call, 4 Shark Typhoon, and then we had kind of a potpourri of other enchantments. Kira, the Sea God, and uh, Lay Claim as cards. Lay Claim can cycle itself, but Kira the Sea God can be put in the graveyard with Modern Age and Oath of Jace. This deck played out a lot smoother. The mana wasn't actually that big of a problem. Uh, binding the Old Gods functioning is sort of like a uh, fixer, if you will. It can go find a white land at any time with Spirit for Spirit Sisters Call. Um, the Sylvan Carry added helps smooth out your mana you're you're accelerating on turn 2 a reasonable number of the time the thing that happened is we played Phoenix twice and there's no way to exile anything from the graveyard in your main deck so I would kill Phoenixes over and over again I had all kinds of loops with like Binding of the Old Gods and Spirit Sisters Call and we're just cycling them back and forth and you know they just get back to Phoenix the next turn and then they do (laughs) 3 to me um also, they're playing cards, main decking, stern dismissal, which is just insane against Spirit Sisters' call. Because when it brings back Shark Typhoon or whatever, it has a text that says if this is removed from game for any reason, it's exiled. So stern dismissal is return target enchantment or creature to owner's hand. They're main decking two of these as Phoenix player. So I did my Spirit Sisters call thing, did it on turn four, had Shark Typhoon in play, would have easily won the game. They just won blue mana source to plowshares your Shark Typhoon. It was crazy how good that card was. Uh, I couldn't beat (laughs) it. Then they brought in like multiple nulls. They just like, they knew what I was up to. I don't know what to say.
0: That does seem to be like the current trendy build of Phoenix plays two copies of Stern Dismissal, sometimes main and sometimes another one in the sideboard.
1: But what enchantments are they looking to bounce? Uh, Rhett and I were discussing that. Is it just ascendancy? I was trying to think of any other enchantment in the entire format that I was even thinking about. Chain to the Rocks, I guess?
0: Well, it could get you out of maybe a pickle against, like, in Soul Artifact or Machiko's Reign. I'm not totally sure. Okay. But, I mean, it also bounces creatures, so it's just, like, never that bad.
1: Yeah, I'm just thinking, like, you could play the one blue mana bounce a creature, and if it's cheap, you get to um, scry three or whatever. Like, wouldn't you rather just bounce the creature and not the scissors if it's if the scissors is enchanting well something.
0: you can i mean you can still balance the creature with stern dismissal but if you like if you're up against ascendancy or something this is the difference between winning and losing right
1: yeah i don't know it, it didn't make sense to me but it absolutely housed me in both the matchups but even without that the deck is really going to struggle without main deck ways to interact with the graveyard um it was hard to get the cura into the graveyard we didn't have that many looting effects but against like fair the the binding the old gods loop happened. So I went two one, I went one two again. I all three dropped with both of these lists. I just want to be very clear here. Um, but this one played out very smoothly. Uh, I won a match. I it, it did its thing a lot, and it just that thing wasn't very powerful. You know, spirit sisters call needs something in the graveyard, so it can be attacked that way. It is a permanent play, It can be attacked that way, um, and it was hard to play the fairer game because. Again, we didn't have a way to attack the graveyard, and uh, it was really hard to ever, like, cast Cura of the Sea God or or Lay Claim.
0: So, despite not having great success in the matches, you do feel like this one is worth iterating on, perhaps a little bit, and you have a new build proposed here.
1: Yeah, exactly. So... When you're talking about communion with the spirits, that gave me an excuse to kind of like, all right, if I really had to like roll up my sleeves and make this work, like what would I do? So, the first thing I want to do is I want to change my enchantment package. I want to play the Kami War. So, this is the new six mana, five color, Wooberg plus one colorless enchantment. The Binding of the Old Gods helps us cast it. Six mana is way less than seven mana. Um, it also exiles permanence. I think Phoenix is going to be, go back to being the dominant deck in the format. So being a, a, able to exile permanence matters. Um, and if it comes back into play, eventually it just turns into a creature uh, that can do stuff. We're also main deck in Graveyard Trespassers in some number. And playing uh, one extra Oath of Jace. You could play, instead of the Oath, um, you could play Celestis. Even though it's not an enchantment, it, it's actually very powerful. So maybe that's the way to go, especially if we're going to play Kami War now that I'm looking at it.
0: Although Kami War has some synergy with Oath of Jace, the second chapter bounces any non-land permanent. and gives you like a rebuy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I still want to be able to cast this on the front side, though. <laughs>
0: okay. okay, sure. I mean, the Kami War is like one of the most impressive mythics in draft, which sounds ridiculous, right? Like... Is 5-color War really the dominant draft archetype? But, I mean, those decks win all the time. Kami War is like, you just can't come back from this card. It doesn't look like much, right? It looks like 6-mana Exile something. But then it just sticks around, you know? Then the next turn you get a bounce, and they, and the opponent discards. And then the next turn comes back as this giant 6-6 six, six flying trample. And yes, that doesn't attack that turn, but it's just, when you add up how much you got, you got a ton out of it.
1: It's worth noting also that when Kami War or Modern Age flips to the creature, it loses the text if Spirit Sisters Call put it into play. Yes. Uh, so it can be then sacrificed again. So um, that's uh, that's very relevant, I think.
0: Yeah, that's that's super nice. Okay, so we've got a different... Top End Enchantment Package. We've got two Commune with Spirits, so we're trying to set up either you know that Wolf Willow Haven Ramp or the Modern Age or Spirit Sisters Call. That's your reanimation package.
1: Yeah, and, and Commune with Spirits is also very good with the Resolve Shark Typhoon. The thing that was happening sometimes is I would do the Shark Typhoon thing and the other deck did not have that much, like, velocity through itself, right? So if I couldn't cast other spells, maybe you only have four or five mana in play, you can't cast Shark Typhoon. Commune Spirits is a card that, A, just puts a 1-1 into play with Shark Typhoon. It seems crazy, but it's actually really useful to block. And then it goes and finds whatever enchantment is useful, right? Is your opponent threatening to kill you? Binding the Old Gods is good. Or do you need to, like, keep tearing through your deck? Uh, Modern Age is great with Shark Typhoon in play. Uh, maybe you have all the mana in the world that you need, and and all you're looking for is that commie uh, Ward to exile their Phoenix or or thing in the ice or whatever. So um, I, I think Commune Spirits is going to be very good here. Uh, I you know playing the twenty three lands is always a little dicey. It's not that much, but we're still playing eight uh, mana rampers. Commune Spirits is a way to kind of give us those extra mana sources. Make sure we hit our third and fourth drop. We always want to do that. Um, but then in the late game, it turns into an Oath of Jace or Bind the Old Gods or a Spirit Sisters Call.
0: All right. So one last list here. This one also returning to the podcast for a third tour of duty. We've talked about In Search of Greatness. We had a very unsuccessful week on it. But David, you have not given up. You talked maybe a month or two ago about a new and improved take on In Search of Greatness, incorporating lessons we learned about needing more permanence in play. Some of them could be like permanents you could flash in on the upkeep in response to the In Search of Greatness trigger. The Omen of the Sea does a great job there. Treacherous Blessing was another card that you found to be very important because it fuels you, gives you more stuff on your hand for In Search of Greatness to put in, and it sticks around. So it gives you that bridge to get up to now Putting now you're putting your 4-drop in. Now you're putting down Vrasco Golgari Queen. You're, you're putting in Binding the Old Gods.
1: Yeah, so I had 4-1 with a list. I had made some updates that I thought would make it better. You had played that updated list to a 1-4 and had been very frustrated with it. And so I think I had tweaked too many dials at once, right? Confounded the variables. So I was playing a ton of Narsets, I think, in the list I proposed to you. And a bunch of Oath of Nissa's, and a bunch of the Black Mana O 4s um, so, you know, I, I think we I think we learned some lessons that that deck had like a ton of air. The nisses themselves, uh, excuse me, the Narsets are a fine card against Phoenix and, and other control decks, but they can't win the, deck, the game by themselves. Also, we did not have cards that could finish the game that Narset could find. So this is taking a lot of those lessons and incorporating them. So... Our 1-drops are Fatal Push and Communion of Spirits. Our 2-drops are Still, In Search of Greatness, Omen of the Sea, Sylvan karyatid I did feel like the deck was doing its thing, right, on, on 2 and 3. And I you, you felt the same way. It Just when it was getting to the top end, it was starting to fail. Graveyard Trespasser. Again, I think Phoenix is going to be great. Graveyard Trespasser, very hard permanent to remove, and it stabilizes you against aggro. Treacherous Blessing you just mentioned. We're down to 2 Narsets. Our four drops are three Vraska, two Binding of the Old Gods. I don't think you had any in your list, so this helps get rid of larger problematic permanents. You said Chandra is very hard to kill. One Geothermal Kami. I think this card is actually going to be really good in this list. Just a reminder to people who might not know. (laughs) This is three and a green for a four-three spirit. When it comes into play, you may return an enchantment to your hand and gain three life. So we have a bunch of enchantments that we actually get a ton of value out of returning to our hand. Uh, Treacherous Blessing is amazing. Uh, Omen of the Sea, Binding of the Old Gods. Um, and then we have at the five drop, a One of Scarab God, a very sticky threat that can stick around forever, ultimately, you know, gives you inevitability. And then Behold the Unspeakable. So this is uh, an enchantment people haven't been talking too much about. It is three blue, blue. All your cre- opponent's creatures get minus two, minus zero. And then on your next turn, if you have exactly one card in your hand, uh, excuse me, when the second Saga counter gets put on, if you exactly one card in your hand, draw four. Otherwise, scry two, draw two. And then on the following turn after that, you get a creature that has a power and toughness equal to the number of cards in your hand, and has flying.
0: Yeah, so a lot of text, but basically, it's at least a Drifter, but often much more than that. And in the corner case where you cast it as the last card in your hand, then when chapter two triggers... You're not just drawing two, you're drawing four cards, and then it becomes a flying creature. So it's like a tidings on a flyer.
1: Yeah, so one of the things you pointed out is like, man, it would be really nice if we had some kind of enchantment creature that like drew a bunch of cards. So Behold the Unspeakable is that card, actually. Um, it's a sticky thread at five. It's very unlikely to die before it draws you the cards. If you have... Um, a geothermal comedy to put it back in your hand that could be useful just being a card that ultimately stabilizes you the turn it comes into play reducing your the creature's power against aggro the following turn it draws cards and then the top end we have two shark typhoons so those cards are great when you get to play them for free but they're never stuck in your hand right if you're you know you you have a treacherous blessing in play you play vraska for free and plus it neat your blessing maybe you don't have any other plays that turn you can always just cycle a shark typhoon to try to find a five for your next turn um So yeah, I've tweaked this list out, and I've tried to add enchantments at each of the cost levels, so Commune with Spirits is also a way to just find a spell that's going to be free the following turn. So it has extra value there.
0: Yeah, I might go up to four communes. The exciting parts of this deck is when you lead on In Search of Greatness on turn two. When you don't have that, it's still a functional deck. I mean, the the mana curve makes sense, you're just playing a mid-range control role, but for the really explosive sequences, you need to have In Search of Greatness. Commune gives you, like, four extra looks.
1: Yeah, that's true. It's always a question of what to cut, though, because the one negative thing about Commune Spirits is it's not a permanent. um, And you probably have to replace a permanent in this list because the only non-permanents in the entire shell are four push. I don't think we can cut those. And two Commune. So then you need to figure out where you want to bend your curve. Maybe you say, okay, we don't need to have as many Sylvan Karyatids because Commune is going to find and search, you know, some number of the times. Uh, or maybe you trim, you know, a three or a, a four. Um but yeah, that that what you're describing is certainly a very real thing.
0: I'll probably cut one land and one two drop or something. <laughs> <laughs> if we can't cut lands for commune, then what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, it's it's a fair point. Yeah, I I I think you're right though. I would cut a land for commune. That's that is the first thing I would do.
0: And yeah, Behold the Unspeakable, someone asked me, I think it was Jack Lionheart asked during one of our mailbag segments, like, what have I learned from playing a bunch of limited lately? And it's, it's things like this, where like, <laughs> when you put Geothermal Kami and Behold the Unspeakable into a decklist, I just like immediately have PTSD flashbacks of my opponents in Neon Dynasty Draft just completely destroying me over and over again with this combination. It's so freaking powerful. Now, you wouldn't know that if you didn't play Draft because these cards just don't look like constructed playable cards, but together they're just like unbeatable.
1: The The wild thing about Geothermal Kami is it actually works really well within Search for Greatness. So let's say we have a three drop, let's say we have Treacherous Blessing in play and in Search for Greatness in play. We play our Kami and bounce our Treacherous Blessing and whatever, choose not to play it for whatever reason. If they kill Geothermal Kami, we have a three drop that we get to play for free with In Search for Greatness next turn, right? Because we we had a two, our four is dead. If they don't kill Geothermal Kami, we threaten to play a five. So either way, it's not just that it comes back, gives you another bite at the apple. It's often letting you do that again for free the following turn. Like Geothermal Kami dies to their Chandra. We have the three in our hand and the, and the two mana enchantments already in play because we, whatever, we already earlier in the game used In Search for Greatness to play uh, Blessing. So that's just super sweet.
0: Sounds like we're not playing enough copies of Geothermal Kami. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta get more of those in there.
1: And Omen of the Sea is just a card that's just going to be in play at random times. So again, Geothermal Kami buying back Omen with Search for Greatness in play is really, really important because the trigger goes on the stack and then you can flash in Omen of the Sea during your upkeep and look for your five, right? You might just get to play Behold Unspeakable for free.
0: All right, so... That's a pretty good survey of six or seven concepts for Commune with Spirits, and we're just scratching the surface. I mean, any deck you can think of that meets the criterion of having, I don't know, let's say eight important enchantments in a bunch of lands, but some decks, like we've seen, will just naturally be playing more enchantments. The hypothesis is that all of these strategies will get more consistent and more powerful they'll find their important engine enchantments more often with the addition of this Commune of Spirits tool.
1: Yeah, and they'll be printing more enchantments in every set, right? So eventually, you know, some of these build-arounds maybe get a little more powerful, and now you have two build-arounds that work, you know, some random old build-around that, you know, mirrored in, and then a new build-around, and they, they have similar kind of things that they're looking for, and all of a sudden you've got this commune of Spirits, you know, card to hold this new shell together.
0: Exactly. Alright, so we're going to take a short break here, and when we come back, we'll wrap things up with a quick look at our testing from last week with Hanada Crowned, a card that David already 5-0'd with during his little preliminary explorations, but we didn't stop there. We tested a couple more strategies. We'll let you know how that all went after the break. Welcome back to our flashback segment. Talking about Hinata Dawn Crowned, legendary creature Kirin Spirit. One blue, red, white, four, four, flying trample. Spells you cast cost one less to cast for each target. Spells your opponents cast cost one more to cast for each target. So, really interesting, really unique creature. The exciting plays involve massive cost reduction on your own spells, and we identified maybe three or four like super exciting cards to pair with Hinata starting with Magma Opus, Sublime Epiphany, Emmy was trying Dance of the manse, and we even thought Paradoxical Outcome might be an interesting card to pair with Hinata. So those are like the big, big gets. But if you keep going down the curve, there's a bunch of cards that have one or two targets that you might already want to put in your deck that when Hinata is in play become super impressive. That's just the cost reduction effect. We also get a body to work with. We get some kind of taxing effect. How much that affects the opponent? We're not sure. Um, But these were all the sort of ideas swirling around in our heads, concepts in the mix that we were hoping could amount to something great. To start things off, I mean, David, you started things off with a banger. You had a four-color Hinata Omnath Magma Opus deck that you 5-0 with right off the bat in Pioneer.
1: Yeah, I was really interested in exploring Hanada and Omnath together because Omnath is very good in the previous format before Luris was banned. There's lots of Luris decks, right? So Omnath is just always gonna be great there. Um and then the other thing is Omnath, of course, there's not all that many fetch lands, but Omnath does give you outs to just hard cast Opus on the next turn. Um so it doesn't seem like it's the, the obvious play, right? It's not a Trenchal gear hulk where you can just kinda of dump uh, your Opus, and then Gearhulk it back into play. It, ju- it just gives you outs. A, it draws another card, so it keeps you hitting land drops. You just want to hit all your land drops up to 6 or 7 mana in this deck. Uh, it buys you a bunch of time with life, and then that does give you out to be sort of be like Hinata, um 5 through 8, if you will, um, to just give you a bunch of mana. And um, Magma Opus is not a game-winning play by itself. You probably have to cast it twice. But the first one, you know, is sort of like, you know... Other spells, it's it's a snowball effect, and so that's that that was the thought. Is we're we're looking to get a, a Magma Ovis off, and then once we do, you know that that hopefully sets us up to to buy time to cast a second one.
0: So when you took this list into the leagues, like were there any notable play patterns? I mean, it seems like structurally you're kind of a mid range ramp deck. You have your Triumph into your Sylvan or Growth Spiral, try to land your four drop, and then take over from there. But you also have your cheap spot removal, March of Otherworldly Lights, you have expressive iteration for card draw, and then your exciting top end.
1: Yeah, the, the thing that really surprised me was how good March of Otherworldly Light is. Um, the card A was obviously a little better when Lurus was everywhere. Um, but the fact that it really worked so well with the um, Settle the Wreckage was, was the thing that surprised me. You you have a Hanada in play, and you leave, like, three mana up. They don't even realize, maybe, that you can cast Settle. But then they're, like, putting in a bind. Like, do I just attack with, like, two creatures? Because Hanada's going to block. They It's really hard to target with, like, a Fatal Push or something. If you only attack with two creatures, then you get wrecked by March. If you attack with all your creatures to, you know, do a bunch of damage to me and lose your, whatever, crappy creature to Hanada, you get blown out by Settle. And, and there's just no way around it. And, and Hanada's taxing ability was very relevant. Like... Like only Anvil wanting to seize you that costs two mana and two life. They sack a permanent to turn on their Fatal Push and they have to pay two to Fatal Push. Uh, if you can do anything to prevent that, um, you you basically tapped out their whole turn. You've probably spent like a mana. So the 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 mana reduction was huge, even on on effects you don't think about. Like of course when you get the Nutty Opus thing, it's like oh man Hanada is sweet. But the reason it's more than a meme is because Hanada does all this other stuff. It's great against. Auras, every aura they cast targeting their own creature costs two mana. Um, K command costs five mana. Um, it, it's just crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean the list looks super sweet. A lot of people seemed interested in picking this up. Got some great feedback from players, just sharing their own screenshots, just going nuts with Opus and Sublime Epiphany. Question for you, David, about like how you approached your sideboarding and if there's like a way to get around maybe the classic mid-range ramp problems of like not drawing the right mix of action at a given time.
1: Yeah, so the I was really sideboarding cards out as a package. I was almost always against aggro, taking out, like, always a supply of epiphany. Don't keep that in. It, it honestly shouldn't be in the deck. It was really, like, a card wanted in just because it was so sweet, but I, don't, I actually don't even think it should be even in the deck. Uh, I was taking out that, at least a Gearholic, often both. Um, often a Hanada against aggro and I was taking out the uh, white spell that's like a free way to prevent Hanada from dying uh, against like most of the Luris decks aren't playing fatal push so it's not good against them and then you just bring in all your cheap removal um, and then against like control uh, you basically just leave in all your expensive spells and get rid of your marches because they're playing planeswalkers and march does not hit them as for like the the no action stuff i was really trying to keep one of the two uh ramp spells in hand um you do have to mulligan aggressively though you can't just kind of keep do nothing hands you can't do nothing until turn four uh even keeping hands where i was like expressive iterationing on three that's probably not enough uh, unless you're on the Mm -hmm. play so uh, you you have to be very disciplined i feel like i've had a lot better results lately being much more disciplined in my uh, mulligan decisions now keeping hands that like, oh, I've got all my parts, but I'm not going to do anything until f- turn four. That's that's just not going to be good enough.
0: What about a hand that's like turn two, discard Magma Opus for treasure, turn three Omnath?
1: Oh, yeah, I'd keep that for sure. Omnath is going to maybe draw you into something sweet, like a land. Is amazing with Omnath somehow?
0: <laughs> okay, same hand, but with Hanada instead of Omnath. Do you still discard the Opus or do you try to hold it?
1: Oh, I try to keep I try to hold the opus uh, I was literally only discarding opus if I was specifically ramping into an early omnath which is and and it was had and it would have to be good in the matchup so it would have to be good against you know burn or or like a uh, white blue scissors or something uh, where I know they can't easily remove it um or uh, or if it was the turn I was for sure going to resolve a Trenchal gear hulk on my turn otherwise I just hold it as long as possible
0: oh really oh okay interesting any changes you have made to the list based on what you found so far?
1: I'd for sure cut the Sublime Epiphany. Um I don't know if you need the the shields. It's super sweet tech from Mord. In theory, it's really good against Anvil, but I don't know if Anvil's really going to be much of a deck, and I don't know how much Fatal Push is going to be around. So I think there's going to be a lot more control decks, more mid-range decks. So I think maybe two sensors or negates if you want to play that card. I mean. Hinata does reduce the cost of them. Hanata makes sensor way better. So it makes sensor a blue mana spell, and they're having to tap an extra mana to target Hanata, So it's much more likely to catch something in the late game. But maybe you just want to play straight up Negate. The um, there's a spell that like costs one less if you have a spirit and one less if you have an enchantment or something. So with Hanata in play, that's actually a one blue mana mana leak. That's a possibility.
0: Yeah, Geist Light Snare.
1: Yeah. So I think, you, I think you're going to want to just play normal counterspells uh, in, in those two spots.
0: Yeah, I actually played against the Geist Light Snare Mono Blue deck with the next list we'll talk about. So maybe we'll pivot here, talk about the second Hanada strategy, which is basically a Mono Blue deck... We're splashing into Jeskai colors so that we can play Hinata. And I see you've actually got a Jeskai Ascendancy hanging out in this version. But the basic idea here is that whereas the previous build wanted to reduce Magma Opus, this deck is trying to get Paradoxical Outcome. Paradoxal Outcome, for reasons we don't understand, targets the permanence that you want to bounce. So that means that Hinata applies the cost reduction and you can cast outcome for just a single blue mana as long as you have three targets which let's be honest we're hoping to have a bunch of targets in order to be an outcome deck you have to have a bunch of cheap stuff so we're essentially playing the moonsnare prototype springleaf drum core that is popular and modern and in pioneer you support that with ornithopters mox ambers emrys and uh it looks like we have golden eggs here as well
1: Yeah, so my first build had Golden Egg to try to make Emery better, because Golden Egg can put itself to the graveyard as a mana neutral play. Um, So Emery can turn into a draw engine if it lives, was a thought process. We have no other artifacts that naturally go to the graveyard. It turns out Emery just dies, so you shouldn't be doing anything to make Emery better, and you should be looking to side out some number of Emerys in almost every fair matchup. Um... So I played this list that exactly as you described. Four Emery, three Rebuke, which is a card I thought would be you know, pretty good with Hanada. Two Psy, one Just Guy Sentency because it's very good with Emery. Uh, four Outcome, four Hanada. One Flux Reservoir. When you start doing your Paradoxical Outcome thing, this is how you win. And one Baral's Expertise. Again, a super cool card, techie card with Hanada. It's blue-blue, return three permanence. It could even be mana generating permanence for you, right? If you have a Mox, Amber, and Springleaf Drum for free, you get to bounce these cards. Replay them, maybe if you have another Flux Reservoir in play, or maybe it plays the other Flux Reservoir for free. The list had the problems and the successes. Every Emery shell i proposed, i proposed a million combo Emery shells. The good hands are awesome, and the bad hands, like you just mull the 5 or 4, and you know, you just don't do anything. So, loss to, to Blue-Eye Control-02, 02. two non-functional draws didn't do anything. Beat Blue Red Phoenix and Jun Food with Karn, which should in theory be good against us. 2-0, back-to-back, felt awesome. Like, oh man, just keeping amazing hands. Lost to Mono Red, 0-2, even though I even activated freaking Westvale Abbey. They had the, the 1-2 <laughs> stupid wizard, and they just made uh, Ormondall small enough I couldn't uh, race them <laughs> incredibly. And then lost to Red Black <laughs> Anvil, you know, had draws to, to beat them, but didn't draw it, you know. They can't beat Resolve Paradoxical Outcome but they have lots of ways to make sure you never resolve paradoxical outcome. Uh, So we had 2-3, and again, frustrated with the air, was very impressed by Sidemaster Thopterist, uh, was not impressed by uh, uh, Metallic Rebuke. Uh, Emry always died, so Golden Egg was bad. Um, So I kind of went back in the lab and tried to find a way to play more deck velocity. Um, And so my answer was Reverse Engineer, which was like sort of another way to pay me off for having all these artifacts in play.
0: I still can't believe you lost that game with with Abbey. <laughs> you flipped Ormondal and lost to a Soulscar Mage.
1: They uh, like shock it or whatever the the shock they could scry if it hit me at, when I attack, so they don't die. Then or they they don't die the next turn, and then they play Chandra minus three it and make Ormondal like a two power or something, and then they just like <laughs> so then I have to attack to kill Chandra because they actually had lethal on table and then I had like one other draw to draw something and you know of course the deck's just all air so I was just like what the hell I freaking flipped Ormondal and did not win (laughs) and I knew they had another burn spell so I forced them to attack I blocked with all my creatures and then when they went to kill my Hanada I sacked Hanada and like four other creatures to make Ormondal so I already burned one of their burn spells but they had another one plus they must have top decked the Chandra so frustrating
0: well, that's maybe a good sign that it's time to go back to the drawing board. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> version two, powered up with more draw spells for reverse engineers. I see you even got some ingenious smiths in here. And instead of trying to interact on the stack, it looks like instead of playing rebukes, we're playing portable holes. So it seems like the artifact synergies are a little bit more, you're committing to it more now. We're going up to four side master Thopterist. We're playing actual improvised cards.
1: Yeah, Portable Hole was just a miss. I think you just... I was just too into, like, oh, um, I can play a bunch of marches out of the cyborg because it's not a it them. It's like, Portable Hole just is your friend. Once you're playing Emery, you want Emery to be able, if it lives, which it won't, uh, to be able to find removal spells. You want Ingenious Smith to be able to find a removal spell. You just want cheap effects that are artifacts. Uh, I actually cut a, a Mox Amber out of this because it was, it was awkward too often. The mana was actually surprisingly good considering we're just adding red and white for no reason to a mono blue shell. Um, like the pathways are just insanely powerful. Uh, Spire of Industry is is obviously a, a, you know, a bird of paradise land and Springleaf Drum makes any color you want. Um, you do need creatures in play. So that's why we're playing the Smiths. I just needed more creatures in play. I was often like they were just killing Ornithopter and Springleaf Drum was not having enough bodies uh, to make mana. So I was often like getting stuck with Hanada in hand. If I had any creature, I could play it.
0: All right, so you took this in the leagues.
1: Yeah, I got absolutely rousted by Naya Winota. If you don't have Portable Hole on their elf, like you just can't win. I did have a sweet uh, Atwara Soaring City play. That card is awesome, but uh, eventually they got me. And then I beat uh, Blue-White Control and Blue-White Scissors. I was uh, feeling on top of the world. The deck was performing. Um, I had some uh, errands to run, so I turned the reins over to you. And uh, you played the last two matches, and uh looks like you uh, split them.
0: Yeah, I was able to beat the Mono Blue Spirits deck with Kai's Slate Snare and Ascendant Spirit. Beat that 2-1, where, you know, we talked about the, the body on Hinata Dawn Crown may or may not matter. If you're trying to, like, combo the mount or be a control deck, like, how important is a 4-4? Four, four? Well, it turns out that just blocking was actually pretty good. It, it kind of dominated the battlefield and just gave me the time I needed to set up my... My engine kill. Sai was also very impressive there. I lost O2 against the Rakdos Oni called anvil deck. I thought maybe I was drawing poorly. I kept thinking like, alright, I'm gonna I'm, just, I'm gonna be in this once I find my reverse engineer or a paradoxical outcome or something, but I just didn't draw them and you know, turn after turn I was falling further and further behind. I was <laughs> drawing Ornithopters and Moose Air prototypes, so that did not feel close. I, I was way, way behind the entire match, but you know, maybe I just didn't draw what I needed.
1: Yeah, I mean, that deck won't exist anymore. But, you know, the, th- the theory there is, you know, we have more Ingenious Smiths and Circuit Menders. We just want to play like a bunch of cheap two-for-ones and we're basically just going to abandon Emery. Uh, that-, that deck is literally just removal. <laughs> it doesn't do anything else. So the, the theory is Emery's never going to draw the card. Just let Ingenious Smith draw a card. Let Circuit Mender trade for a card. You know, play Maasai, Master Thopters, try to get cards there. And eventually, hopefully, you draw your Paradoxical Outcome. But to your point... We Are playing a bunch of weak cards and they get to play Thought Seas, they get to play all kinds of disruption, they get to play probably three K commands after board. So, um, it's not, it's not ever going to be a great matchup for us, I don't think. And you know, that's just how it's going to be,
0: yeah. Now, that being said, in against the Spirit deck, I was actually able to do the thing with Hanada and Outcome, and that felt super, super sweet. Like, I don't know, like, how often across the matches you played, you actually did the specific sequence with Hanada and Paradoxical Outcome um like do you feel like that's a powerful synergy to keep exploring
1: yeah so you know i have in my note here when you do the Hinata paradoxical outcome thing you cannot lose i beat blue white they drew all their cards they drew a zillion cards they played out their eighth or ninth land like how often you just outpower blue white control like effortlessly like paradoxical outcome let them counter it play another paradoxical outcome across a blue mana and it goes up you know when you cast paradoxical outcome for a blue and you get it from a mox amber, and then you like tap a springleaf drum and a moon snare prototype on your way out. Just like leave your master thought person play, make six more tokens, and just leave a ton of mana up because you have an untapped mox amber now, an untapped springleaf drum. You can't lose. But what do you do when you don't draw those cards, right? You can't play a lot of like consider type effects because you need to have a density of artifacts. You need to have some number of creatures to make sure Springleaf Drum can do stuff. Uh, I think you're kind of priced into playing the size and emories to make sure your mocks Amber's tap for mana. Um, I don't want to say it's not worth exploring more. I'm not saying this is the perfect version, but I think a lot of these decisions are actually pretty gated once you want to do the Hanada paradoxical outcome thing. So I'm not sure what else you can do.
0: Yeah, I mean you could put in like a secondary engine like like Dance of the Mists if you're thinking I'm an artifact deck, but. I'm not sure how reasonable that is without Hanada in play. I'm noticing that you went down from four to three copies of Hanada in your second build.
1: Yeah, the thing I was realizing is Paradoxal Outcome is just fine in this deck. Because we, we, we actually have a ton of mana, even though we're a 19 land deck. Because you do have a Mox Amber. Maybe they kill your Emery, maybe they don't. Maybe they kill your Psy, maybe they don't. We have Springly, Drum and Moonsnare prototypes. So you're really like a 27 land deck if you want to squint really hard. So it's possible to just like turn three Paradoxical Outcome for three cards, right? That's just a really good play. Four mana instant draw three. They'd never print that into standard. Um, or reverse engineer for like blue blue on turn three. So the thought process was like Kanata isn't that important. It really only affects four cards in the entire deck. And so it's, it's part of your best draws, but you certainly don't need it. And the splash is kind of free because we want to play white anyway. And playing River Glide Pathway is basically like playing Islands, like playing the extra red just doesn't do anything to hurt us. Um, and then it makes our sideboard better because it helps you win like counter wars and stuff. Uh, you know, like a Resolve Tanada means basically like your mystical disputes are insane and the, and theirs are terrible.
0: <laughs> I mean, is it better or worse than Inspiring Statuary for the purpose of supporting Paradoxical Outcome?
1: It's a great question. Um, I hate Inspiring Statuary. I always get so excited about it and then it just always lets me down. At the same time, it is an artifact, right? So it increases no. your artifact density for Ingenious Smith. It increases your artifact density for Psy Master Thopterist. It's an artifact, hell, that Moonsnare Prototype lets you tap. Um, maybe maybe it's not uh, better. Maybe Hinata's is not better. That, that might be the very real conclusion to draw, um, unfortunately.
0: Hmm. Well,. We ran the experiments, we do it for science, came away with one five oh to start with, and you know, we've learned some things about this paradoxical outcome shell. I thought it was a really fun shell to play. Would like to see this shell keep improving, whether that's with Hinata or with Inspiring Statuary. Different avenues to explore.
1: I will say the nut draw with Hinata is way better, right? Like it's it's not even close. Um but
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think inspiring a statuary is like not a good card at all, but it is more synergistic.
1: Yeah, again, if you really feel like the splash is totally free, then Hinata is better, just because it is a flying four-four that's hard to remove. Um, it makes you more vulnerable to Wrath of God. Yeah, there's there's a lot of <laughs> variables happening here.
0: All right, so stepping back then, big picture, what have we learned about Hanada Dong crowned, and what do we think is the future of this card going forward?
1: I think Hanada is just a very, very good card. Uh, it's I think people dismiss it too quickly as a meme. You know, I wrote that in our spoiler notes. Like, I think this card is actually pretty real. The fact that it makes Opus, which is already like a borderline playable card with Torrential Gear Hulk, into an insane card is already something. A bunch of random cards target uh, more than you think. But you need to make a deck that can function without Hanata. That's the big key. People like, oh, well, you need to put all these, you know, e- e- you know, even that six man instant that like Rhett wanted to play one of. Like the cards is bad, and it's really bad if you don't have a <laughs> Hanata in play. So you know that's the kind of card that really shouldn't be in the list. And and he was worried like, oh, we don't want to play small ball. Like once we resolve Hanata, we have, we have to get paid off for it. It's like a four four trample that just makes your opponent's targeting more expensive is not the worst card in the world. Um, so yeah, I, 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 it's not like some of these other cards that are like only good if you draw the specific one card, you know, it's like, all right, if I draw this and I don't draw the second piece, I've just, you know, spent seven mana for a one, one or something. It's like, yeah, the man is tough, but a four, four flying creature that just makes your, uh, you know, your opponent's dread board one more or thoughtsies cost one more. That's, that's just a reasonable card.
0: Yeah, and I think that's what we've seen from Hinata in standard as well. Like it's a pretty good standard deck. It looked like it was going to be a great standard deck. Now it's just like a pretty good standard deck, and you look at the cards that it's playing. It's like, "Oh, okay, I see. This is just a a pretty solid is it or just guy control shell. It has a high ceiling if it gets Hinata and Magma Opus going, but if it doesn't get that, like it, you can still get there other ways. You can still use unexpected windfall to get up to your Opus. And, you know, the abrade or Valorous stance that you're hoping gets reduced by Hanada is also just like a fine card to cast.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and those are the keys. So that's why, you know, like, again, playing Omnath with Hanada gives us a second way to cast a full opus. The opus can put itself in the graveyard to get out an Omnath a turn earlier. You know, all this stuff, you can put itself in the graveyard to cast Torrential Gearhulk a turn earlier and resolve the opus. So we have all these ways that Hanada's never, or excuse me, Opus is never dead without Hanada. Hanada isn't dead without Opus. Omnath is always just great. You know, Torrential Gearhulk is great with Settle the Wreckage. in a, At the time, a very uh, aggro-heavy metagame. So you have all these cards that are never just dead in the way that, you know, I think sometimes the, the urge is like, if I resolve Hanada, what are the best cards to have? It's like, I don't think you have to worry about that that much.
0: Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Reminded me a little bit of what I felt about Tameshi Reality Architect after testing that card as well. A card with all these crazy combo potentials and wild synergies, but at the end of the day, you know, the core creature is is a decent, solid rate for a value creature. It allows you to build, like, a good deck that at some point will do something impressive or not.
1: Yeah, and if the worst thing Hanada does is you just play it and they spend, like, three mana to kill it, Right, like okay, they got they they they're up a mana in the exchange, but then the the so the 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 floor is you played a four mana card that they had to kill, and then they did, right? The 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 ceiling is you cast Magma Opus for two mana and the game is over.
0: Yeah. All right, so I think we will leave it there for Hinata Dawn Crowned. We will be back next week with a new card and with some of our testing results with Commune with Spirits. As always, if you have some sweet tech for any of the concepts we talked about in this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can get at us on Twitter. We are at FaithlessMTG. Or if you want to come brew with us, come join our Discord, which you can find at our Patreon. That's going to do it for us for today. David, I bid you farewell. Good night, sir. All right. Take care. See you next time. Take care. That's a wrap on this edition of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. Tune in next week for our testing results and download the latest deck lists at faithlessbrewing.com. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. If you'd like what we do, you can join our community at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.